Amen. Morning, everyone. So good to see all your faces again. I know last week was a bit of a tough one with the weather and the long weekend. A lot of us weren't here, but uh, if you weren't here, can I just encourage you? Joe did an incredible job just helping us work through Psalm 51. Um, if you're joining us for the first time this morning, we're in the Life of David series, and uh, we've been in a tough few weeks dealing with the sin with Bathsheba and um, murder and just all that comes with that and that whole mess. And last week we landed in Psalm 51, David's prayer of repentance. And so just a beautiful time. And so can I encourage you to go and listen to that if you weren't here. This morning we, we're continuing off that. And what I love about God's Word is, you know, often the best movies are those where they, they hit this climactic point where everything kind of seems to fall apart. And then everything is restored by the end. And it's just a beautiful movie and you feel good about it. And it's a wonderful story. But you don't really know what happens after that because that's, that's not the point. You kind of just land at that, that resolved point. But God's word is very real, and it gets real. And so even though David has had this moment of repentance, and it's beautiful, and it's genuine, what we're going to look at now is what follows after that. And I I hope this morning is going to be so helpful for you as it's been for me, as it just helps us get real with, with just seeing what does it look like to actually journey as a follower of Christ. It is these big moments, but it's also continuing to daily make small choices as we try and become more like Jesus. And so what we're going to be doing this morning, you can turn with me so long to uh, 2 Samuel verse uh, chapter 13. We're going to be doing an overview of chapters 13 to 18. So don't worry, we're not going to read uh, the, <laughs> every single chapter because then that will be the whole preach. So what I'm going to do is, is do things a, a bit differently this morning. I'm just going to give us an overview and I'm going to highlight a few key verses that we, as we just zone in on David. What we're going to see is we're going to see some of the consequences of David's sin. We're going to see his boys now, his own sons, falling to their own sin. And with that, we're going to really zone in on David's response um, to all of that. So let's dive in. So what we see in chapter 13, it's probably one of the most disturbing passages of Scripture um, in the Bible. It's Amnon, who is David's son. And this man, this boy is, well, he's a man, he's filled with such lust for his half-sister, and he ends up uh, raping her. And so it's a terrible, disturbing passage of Scripture. And what I want to highlight from that is verse 21. So chapter 13, 21, it says, When King David heard of all of this that his son had done, he was very angry. Now that's good. He was angry. That's the right response. He should have been furious. But unfortunately, that's where he left it. He didn't do anything about it. He left it at that. Left his son alone. And that was it. And so what we find then is we move on to the next part of the story. Absalom enters the scene, his other son, and he does something about it. And we see that he takes matters into his own hands, and he ends up orchestrating the murder of Amnon for the sake of his sister who had been raped and abused. And so suddenly we see that David is experiencing some things that are very close to home, the abuse of a woman, the murder of a man, and it's happening now through his sons. And we then go and see that Absalom, he, uh, he flees, he, he runs away, and through a series of events, he's brought back to the kingdom. And in chapter 14, verse 33, we just quickly jump there. 
And we see that uh, he's brought before David, before his dad. And it says, then Joab went to the king, this is David, and told him Absalom was back. And he summoned Absalom. And so he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. And the king kissed Absalom. Now that was a sign of forgiveness. Um, but what we see as the chapters continue, that David didn't really forgive him. He had shown him some grace, but not really. Again, he just wasn't engaging. David had gone numb. He had seemed to have lost this, this boyish courage, this faith that he always used to have. The, the man who slayed Goliath, something has happened to him. He's lost his moral courage, and he just he kind of goes through the motions with Absalom. And commentators at this point, most of them will say, that this seems to have been the turning point for this boy, for this young man, where just he, he could feel the distance from his own dad. And that, yeah, he was maybe, his dad went through the motions, but it wasn't real. And what follows after this is tragedy for this man, where he tries to steal the throne. David ends up fleeing the kingdom himself. And through a series of events, Absalom goes down a very bad path. And uh, even though David tries to protect him in the end, and he tries to really make sure that the soldiers that are with David don't try and kill Absalom, he ends up dying. And we finish this whole portion of Scripture in chapter 18, verse 33, with a whole mess that's sort of followed. And it says here, And the king was deeply moved. This was David after hearing that Absalom had been killed. And he went up to the chamber over the gate, and he wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Let me pray for us and then we'll get into it. Father, we, we thank you so much for these past weeks, these past months, Lord, of just your grace to give us a view into David's life and to be able to learn so much from him that's helpful, and to also take such strong warning from his life. Lord, this morning is a, is a morning that we, we desperately need your help, Lord, as you just expose some, some very real things that I think for a lot of us this morning is, is going to hit home and is going to sort of maybe bring out some stuff in us. And God, I just pray, Lord, that you'll help me to be so sensitive to this morning and all that we're going to be talking about and preaching on God. And I just pray... Holy Spirit, that you will do a work in, in each of our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that we won't leave here the same this morning. I pray, Lord, that you will you'll stir a fresh and a renewed faith and boldness in each of us, that you'll give us a view, as we, as we sang in the beginning, that you'll open our eyes to see you, Jesus. God, that we will behold you this morning with all your grace and all your mercy and all your compassion and all your love. We pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So friends, from one side, this passage definitely highlights for us the seriousness of sin, the consequences that comes with sin. And uh, if you've been here the last few weeks, you know we've spoken a lot into that. And, um, and if you haven't been here, know that your sin is serious, that we need to take responsibility for our sin, that we need to own our sin. That's real, that God's discipline and consequences and judgment is, is a real thing. But this morning, I want to approach this story from a, a different angle. And I want to look at this story, firstly, considering the temptation that it's, it's going to help us realize, a temptation that we will all face as we journey 
on this road of becoming more like Jesus. And secondly, I want to offer us in an encouragement from Scripture to help us stand up under this temptation. And so the first thing that we see was true for David and will be true for us as we journey as believers is this, that you and I will be tempted to lose heart. You and I will be tempted to lose heart. In Hebrews 12, verse 5 to 6, the writer writes, My child, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. And we have spoken a lot into that, and we have seen that. Take your sin seriously. Own your sin. When God exposes things in you and brings correction, take that seriously. Don't, don't mess around with that. Don't blame others. Don't sort of say, it's not such a, take it seriously. Don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. But on the other side, and that's what we're speaking to this morning, don't be weary when reproved by God. The New Living Translation says it like this. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Why? Because God disciplines the one he loves. He disciplines the one he loves. And he chastises everyone whom he receives. Friends, God's love for David was massive. That's why... <laughs> That's why he exposed them and, and did all this. His love for Israel was massive. That's why he kept sending them prophet after prophet to, to deal and expose their sin. God's love for you and I this morning is massive. We can't even fathom, friends, the depth of his love for us. That's why he corrects us. That's why he exposes us. So take your sin seriously. But on the other side, sometimes what's even harder, and I know that's been true in my life, don't lose heart. As you go through discipline, as you face some consequences, as you wrestle and grow and become more like Christ. See, friends, all of us every day are sinning, and some of us have made messes in our lives, some, some of us big messes, even as believers. I'm not talking pre-conversion here. I'm talking as followers of Jesus. Some of us are living, I think, I think all of us, if we're honest, are living with some type of consequences from decisions we've made. There, there, there's always some stuff going on. It's just God's grace that we can move forward with our life. But we need to realize that in those times, and I know how easy it is to lose heart, how easy it is to, to become discouraged. That's what that means, to lose heart, to go numb even. And this is what I think we're seeing in this passage of Scripture. So I think we're seeing here. We're seeing that David, through all of this stuff, through everything that was going on, the, this man had genuinely repented. And so this morning, I'm not talking about an unrepentant heart. Okay, yes, that's the first step, and that's critical. We have to be a people who repent and continue to come back to God and turn back to God and say, sorry, and David had done that. And we see in Psalm 51, it was genuine and it was real. But what we are seeing is a man deeply discouraged, a man still struggling with his own shame and guilt, a man who, who had become numb and he was struggling to, to act. He should have acted. He should have done something when his daughter was abused like that. He should have done something when Absalom came to him. He should have shown him the same grace that he himself had received by God, but he, he struggled to go the distance. And what we realize, friends, is that repentance is not the end of our journey. It's the beginning of our journey. You see, restoration is a journey. Sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. Justification is what happens in that moment. We are forgiven in Christ, made right with God because of Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. But sanctification is a daily walk where we become more and more like Jesus. And on that road, it is so easy, friends, for spiritual inertia to set in. What does that mean? It's so easy for us to, 
as we fall and as we come back to God, to start to get to a point of going, yeah, I'm a believer, but actually I don't know if I've got any value anymore. I don't know if I've got anything to offer anymore. I don't know if I can minister, share my faith, love, direct, challenge. And spiritual inertia seems to set in. That's what happened with David. He became stuck. He, he, just, he just couldn't move anymore. This man that used to boldly, when they, an entire Israeli army was stuck, he went forward in faith because of his faith in God. And he struck down Goliath. When they struck, he went out and conquered, conquered kingdoms. He challenged them to follow God's ways. But when it came to his own family, he was stuck. And I think so many of us live here, if we're honest. I think some of you this morning may feel like that's actually just become normal Christianity for you. This kind of spiritual inertia. You, you hear, and you even read the Bible every now and again, and you come to church. But if you're honest, you're stuck. And you don't really feel like you can share your faith. Or you can parent your children to Christ. Or you can challenge your spouse on something. Or a colleague. Your faith has just become private, like David's. Incredible Psalms he wrote. Incredible. This private intimacy he had with God. But publicly, in this context, uh, he was... He wasn't expressing publicly what he was experiencing and writing down personally. And friends, keeping our faith private and not public, that's, that's because we're struggling to believe and live in the reality of the gospel. See, many of us are just living under Satan's condemnation, but that's not the gospel. Jesus came not to condemn, but to bring life. And so many of us feel a, a deadness, that spiritual inertia, but that's, that's not the gospel. You may even think, but that's what I deserve. No, but that's not the gospel. You may deserve it. We all deserve it. <laughs> None of us deserve I don't deserve to be sharing God's word with you. You don't deserve to be hearing God's word. We don't deserve to be singing, but that's the gospel. We get what we don't deserve. Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus comes to bring life. Satan wants to put us in prison. Jesus sets us free. Satan wants to keep us stuck and numb. Jesus wants to warm and soften our hearts. Jesus comes to bring life, friends, not death. So keeping your faith private is not the answer. It may feel like the right thing to do because you you're the last person in the world who should be sharing anything. I'm the last person in the world who should be sharing anything. If you, if you walked with me my whole life. But it's not about me. It's about Jesus and what Jesus has done. I know it's easier said than done to believe this gospel. I know it's easier said than done to keep walking after we've repented, to get up again and to start speaking again and to start acting again especially to those closest to us who know our stories. I know it's hard, friends. But that's, that's the gospel. That's the beauty of it. That's why it's called grace. Because grace is not just God's undeserved favor. Grace is God's power to help us get up again and to try again, to minister, to share our faith, to love our spouse, to love our kids. And so practically, what is, what is something then, if this is a temptation that you and I will face constantly as we journey, as we fall, as we sin, as, 
God exposes things in us as he disciplines us. We will face a temptation to become discouraged. What is one thing that we can do in order to help us stand up under that temptation? And I believe in the, looking at the context of this passage, there's a powerful truth here that I glean from it. And to me, it's this truth. It's the truth that we need to remember something. We need to remember that you and I do not proclaim ourselves, but we proclaim Jesus. We need to remember that we proclaim Jesus and not ourselves. See, David had lost the courage and boldness to speak and to act. He had forgotten that it wasn't based on his moral standing. It was based on the God he served. He had forgotten that it wasn't about him sitting with Amnon or Absalom and saying, based on what I have done, let me tell you now what you must do. It was based on the God he served and on God's ways. This is what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5 where he said, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. In that time in Corinth, there were all these super apostles and they were speaking the things of God, but they were, they, they were coming with the, their authority. It was very much like the Pharisees in the day. Because of how I'm living, you must listen to me. And Paul comes and he says, no, you, you, you look at me and you see I'm a weak man. I'm a man with my own struggles, with my own issues. But know this, that what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. We are here to serve you. That's our role, to give our lives up for you, to serve you, to be vulnerable and humble before you. But what we proclaim is Jesus and not ourselves. Paul actually referred to himself as the worst of sinners. Paul would often speak about how weak he was in his letters, publicly recorded. He, he, had, no, he had no issue with just unraveling himself before those that he was trying to lead and shepherd. Because he knew his message wasn't about how good he looked. It was about pointing them to Christ. His confidence wasn't in himself. It was in God. Think of Peter who denied Christ three times. Even after he was told that he would do that. Jesus literally says to him, because of Peter's pride and arrogance, saying, no, Jesus, doesn't matter what happens to you. I'm there with you. They might run away, but I never will. He says, Peter, you go deny me three times. He says, no, that will never happen. And what does he do? Moments later, he denies Christ three times. This man was weak. He was a sinner, a fool even, you could say. But we see him genuinely repent. He realizes it. He weeps. God restores him. And he has the audacity to believe that God has forgiven him. He has the audacity to believe God's love for him and find security in that. And at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, who is the first man to tell people about Jesus? Peter. Now you think the other disciples might have gone, maybe you're not the best guy. You know, they're going to, we, we go speak about you and the stories will come out. And they weren't thinking like that because they weren't there to proclaim themselves. Peter could with boldness stand up and call out their sin, even though he himself was one of the worst sinners because his confidence was in God. It wasn't his message, he was pointing them to Jesus. He wasn't testifying about himself. He was testifying about Jesus. Friends, the good news is that we don't proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus as a Savior. We don't ever stand on our own moral authority like the Pharisees. Because we all have big logs in our own eyes. <laughs> we all have things we are wrestling with and struggling with. And remember, the issue is if there's unrepentant sin, that's a whole different issue. But if there's a genuine heart 
and where our hearts need to be, where we are daily repenting as things are exposed. That's what we need to be sharing, friends. That's how we serve people. You see, David, he did do a lot of harm to his family. He didn't help them by falling into the mess he, he fell into. And he set his boys up, you, you could argue, for, for great failure. Well, my dad did that. And my dad was filled with lust. And my dad was filled with murder. But imagine, imagine he had sat with his boys and just shared with them. It seemed like that Psalm 51 was a, a really private psalm for David. Imagine he had sat with his family and said, God, you know what I've done. It's, it's come out. But, but can I just share with you that look at what God has done to me. And I want to tell you that it doesn't have to be your story. You don't have to go down this road. Imagine he sat with Absalom and said, you know what, I can understand what you did. And man, I just want to say that there's grace for you as there's grace for me. And, and let me walk this road with you now. No, not because I'm better than you. I'm actually absolutely, I'm worse than you. But, but there's grace for you. So let me walk. What, what could have happened? What could have God done through David? If he had had that conversation. And friends, what are, what are some conversations that you and I need to be having? What are some conversations that you and I need to be having, friends? Some conversations where we've just put them away. We just can't speak to our colleague at work about Jesus. We, we, just, we, we just sort of shy. Oh, you go to church? Yeah, yeah, nah. yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, how's the rugby, hey? Because we just, we, we just feel we can't, we can't speak like that because my colleague knows how I, I acted the other day at the company event or whatever. But what if you just sat and shared with the colleague? You know, you saw, I remember at a life group years ago, I used to, um, I used to be in a life group and uh, I was staying by myself. I think I was like 19 or so. And we would always, after the life group, go back to my place and have a party. And uh, we'd drink and we'd smoke hubbly bubbly and do all that stuff. And, and that was kind of how... How, how, we, how we went. That was how our church was. And um, God, by his grace, just convicted me one night after about a year or so of this and just said to everyone, it's time to get out and I can't live like this anymore. And uh, the next week at Life Group, um, I shared with them on how Jesus, if you're not hot or cold, Jesus will spit you out of, my, out of his mouth. And I just said to them, guys, you, you know me. I'm the guy that hosts these things. And I was just able to be vulnerable and real with them and say, I, I want to I be hot for Jesus. And it's amazing after that how many of those guys just ended up moving in a, in a forward with God and going to ministry and doing so many beautiful things. God was very kind to us, very gracious to us. But it's important we have the conversations. And actually, there's nothing more powerful than a humbled, vulnerable, repentant believer. There's nothing more powerful than that. You can be real with your kids. Jen and I often are real with our kids. That day I was chatting to my girls in the car and just saying, I struggle with that. Man, selfishness, I struggle with it. And say, so you, you see how you're struggling with it? You, you saw me the other day. How I did, literally, I don't want to share my food with you guys because like, I, want my, I want all the ribs. It's a silly example, but it's true. It's like, you know, you should really share your food with your kids, but I want my food. <laughs> But friends, we've got to share the real things with those closest to us especially. Be real with your kids. Be vulnerable with them. Be real with your spouse. It's hard, I know. You see, I shared something with Jen that was very real and, and vulnerable for me after 15 years of marriage. and just It's hard, but it's, 
it's not me testifying about myself, but it's saying I'm going to Jesus. And I want to encourage you to go to Jesus. It takes courage to, to speak. It takes courage to act. That's what biblical love is. It's putting ourselves out there again and again and again. Not because we have earned our stripes and that we are now qualified and that we have finally reached this moral sort of authority or level in life where now we can now speak to others. My friends, the message we proclaim is not ourselves. It's Jesus. He's the one we hold out as the Savior, as the Rescuer, as the Redeemer. And all we are doing is just saying, we're on this journey with you. (laughs) And we need Jesus so much. But he's enough for me. He can be enough for you. My mom, uh, the beautiful, faithful woman of God, and I I grew up with an amazing mother who followed Jesus from, since I can remember. And 20 years ago, her marriage fell apart. And I had Christian parents, and they were even in ministry at one time, and all this stuff, but their marriage was totally shattered and fell apart. And for her, she fell apart because her marriage was actually her everything. And she could have, in that moment, as a woman who had been used by God powerfully before that in ministry and witnessing and all that type of thing, she could have, in that moment, done what may have even seemed the right thing to do, just kind of drifted into the shadows, sat at the back, the divorced woman, and just made her faith private, you know, just kind of between her and God. But she refused to do that. And daily she would choose, she would daily choose to keep believing this gospel. And over many years, and it was a hard many, many years of her repenting herself, as God exposed stuff in her, broken marriage is never just one-sided, and there was stuff in her that she had to deal with. And even the way her marriage was her, her idol, in a sense, as she would say, God dealt with so many things. But you know that today, she spends her days in her 70s sitting with people in challenging marriages. She spends her days leading five or six life groups, leading women to Christ, ministering, counseling. And friends, she does that because her her message is not about herself. It's about Jesus. It's not that God did this amazing work and then restored my parents' marriage. That never happened. My dad got remarried and things even got worse. But she believed the gospel. She daily chose to believe that her life wasn't over and that Jesus was enough. And she could sit with people in her own struggling marriage and point them to Jesus, not to herself, but to Jesus. You see, her her confidence was in who God was and not in how her life had turned out. My friends, the fruit that she's born is incredible because she didn't give up. She kept walking. She chose to keep speaking because she believed this gospel. And so we all daily have a choice whether we will believe God, whether we will believe that his grace is not just sufficient to save us from hell, a kind of big moment of conversion, but to daily save us. I think a lot of us, we, we believe there's such a generous, gracious kind God for us at that moment of conversion when we realize our sin 
someone shares the gospel with us and we hear of Christ's love for us, in that moment we feel that warmth and that love and that power of God and we turn to God and we feel so comforted and safe and we just say, Jesus, thank you for saving us. But then when we fall into sin again and as the years go by, I think a lot of us start feeling that maybe God's heart for us has hardened a bit. Maybe he's not actually still that merciful, gracious, kind, loving God. Maybe that you become a bit frustrated with us. Maybe he's become a bit numb to us. And that's a lie of the devil, friends. We never move on from the gospel. Christ today is interceding and praying for you now. Why is he doing that? Because he knows that we need help. <laughs> he knows that we are on a journey of becoming more like him. And he knows just as we couldn't save ourselves, we can't make ourselves like him. We need him. And so he's saying to us, keep coming back to me. Keep calling on me for help, for my grace, for my mercy, and then tell others that that is what they need. That is the message that we have. Not look at how my life has turned out. Things are so good. I'm a much better guy, so you know what you should do? You should look like me. That's how the world lives. As soon as there's a success story, a book is written about that person. He may be a 24-year-old dude, but they write a book about him because everyone says he made a success of this, this thing in this industry, and so now we should emulate that. That's not how we live. Our message is not, well, Phil made a success with his life, so let's follow Phil's principles and ways. No. It said Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for us, and God's love for us is more than we can ever fathom. That is our message. Our message is Jesus Christ. And you can with confidence today, if you're living, if there's unrepentant sin, you need to deal with that. And you come before God and repent. But if there's a genuine repentant heart in you, with confidence today, you can have that conversation with your child, even if they're a growing child. Even if you were a wreck of a father, you can tell them about Jesus today because it is not you you are proclaiming, it is Jesus. You can go to your spouse and you can encourage them to God's ways. You can witness to that person at work or at the club or wherever you are because it's Jesus you proclaim. You see, friends, the truth of this passage and what it's pointing us to is even though, fail, even though David failed to act in this moment, even though we often fail to act, Jesus didn't fail to act. That is why our message has power and teeth to it and weight to it and why it's incredibly good news because Jesus didn't fail to act. He didn't look upon the situation and say, I'm out. He went to the cross. He died for our sins. He made it possible for us to be made right with God. Even though David failed to speak when he should have spoken up, even though you and I failed to speak when we should have spoken up, God didn't fail to speak, friends. And his message, what he says to us, what he says over every single person here this morning and over every single person in the world today is the message of the cross. His final word to us is Jesus Christ. And he said, I know you are a sinner, but there is grace and mercy and love for you. There is hope for you today. That's God's final word to us today, that there is hope for every single one of us this morning. And that is the message that we proclaim. It's not our message. It's God's message. And friends, we need to start praying and asking God to give us a new boldness again, to stir faith in us again, to give us spiritual courage again, to speak the truth about God in love. We have a message to proclaim. And part of that message is, yes, I'm a wreck. I'm struggling. I'm a failure. But I'm going to Jesus Christ because he is my hope and he is enough. And he is your only hope as well. And if you want to imitate something of me, imitate me going to Jesus, humbling myself before him, being vulnerable before him, and just saying, Jesus, I need you. 
That's what people should be imitating in us. That's the message that we proclaim. You see, in a world, friends, we are living in a world that's telling us to be quiet, to sit down, and to keep our faith private. But we need to learn again how to stand up and to start speaking again. Our faith was meant to be public, friends. We're meant to be speaking and living out this gospel. It is not just for the comfort. We come here to worship, to be encouraged, to be stirred with faith, and then to go out and to show the mercy of God, to speak the mercy of God. Spiritual inertia, staying in a place of being stuck, is not God's will for your life. God's will for your life. You have fruit, as as Barbara shared this morning. You are chosen by God. We didn't choose him. He chose us so that we would bear fruit. Each one of us are called to bear fruit, to proclaim, to tell others, to lead our children, our spouses, our friends, our family to Jesus. I remember there was a time when my mom was going through her her things and, and her family, she's got eight or seven brothers and sisters, and all of them, majority of them then, unbelievers, successful marriages, successful people, really just a beautiful picture of success in the world. And here she is, the only believer in her family, with a failed, broken marriage, big financial challenges, and she's saying, how can she witness to them? You know what she did? She went and witnessed to them over and over and over. And many of them have come to Christ. Because her message wasn't her. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. And they started to see in her Jesus. So friends, don't lose heart on this road of sanctification. Remember the cross. Remember that Jesus is enough for you. And remember that he is the one that we proclaim. And so this morning, that's why we're going to finish by taking communion. We're going to take communion this morning, and I'm trusting that God will just do a spiritual work in our hearts. We're going to take communion to remember that our message is a message of hope and is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. That is not on you and me, it's on Jesus, and that the one we proclaim is Jesus Christ, that we remember that there is hope for us. And that some of us this morning are, are, are living with still a lot of shame and guilt. And I know how that feels. And you may even be still struggling with stuff you did 20 years ago. And you, you believe God's forgiven you in the big sense of forgiven. But you're still struggling with the shame of it. It's keeping you from moving forward in your life. And let this morning be the morning that God breaks it and speaks over you the truth that it is finished. As you drink that juice, as it goes down, as you eat that bread, as you chew on it, remember the truth that it is finished. He took it on the cross and he dealt with it. He is not like David that kind of forgave his son, but not really. He is not a man like that, friends. God has done it. It is finished. Christ has forgiven you and he wants to restore now. He wants to start stirring faith in you. He wants to see you moving forward with your life and walking in all that he has for you. You have a part to play in his story. You have a message to proclaim. It's not Joe's message because he's in full-time ministry. It's our message, each one of us. It's a message of hope. So friends, let's start coming up this morning. We're just going to have some music in the background. You can just start coming up and just stay in a place of 
Stay in a place of sober-mindedness. I know it's tempting to just start chatting and stuff, but just really come and take the juice and, and the bread and just go back to your seat and just have some time with God this morning. And just ask that God would just remind you this morning of His grace and His love and His mercy too. So let's start doing that. Please come, come up and grab some.